When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he, he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and to explain it to her, and he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for, the, for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to, to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal province, provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. The next reading is 2 Peter 3. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, 
scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So there, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. Uh, Please hang on to Esther chapter 4, if you would. And will you join me as we pray, as we come before God's word. Please bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for this day. We come here, perhaps some of us, with wet feet, and that is a distraction, perhaps, uh, Father, with this rain. We praise you for it. But now, Father, we ask that you would fix our minds on your Son uh, through your Word. Uh, Father, by your Word, by the power of your Spirit, teach us today. May we live here changed by your Word, ready to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to bring you today, as we kind of close off our series of these great men and women of faith, I want to bring you from Esther chapter 4, I want to bring you two texts and two challenges. Two texts and two challenges. The first text comes from Mordecai's words to Esther in chapter 4, verse 14. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And I want to challenge you that every time is a time appointed by God. And I want you to grow in your ability to trust God all the time. For most of us, we exercise a selective trust in God. 
We trust God in some areas, uh, at some times, in some moods, in some circumstances. But our selective trust is also a limited trust, a double-minded trust, a paralysed trust, an occasional trust. Purity of heart is to will one thing, and I want you all to trust God. That's the first text and the first challenge. The second text comes from Esther's words, 4.16. If I perish, I perish. And I want to challenge you in your love for God's people. For if we naturally exercise selective trust in God, then we naturally exercise selective love for God's people. We love lovable people. We love attractive people, and therefore we love people like ourselves. We love people when we are in the right mood. We love people when they do what we want. And yet, our love is occasional. Well, mine is, anyway. I'm happy to love when it's convenient, when I choose, when I'm in the right mood, when it doesn't require too much sacrifice. Then I'm a cheerful and happy lover of God's people. Two texts, two challenges. You see, we meet Esther, this amazing woman of God, in the midst of an awful situation for God's people. Let me tell you about a few characters. You've kind of met them before. We have King Xerxes, the great king of Persia. He is actually a very weak king of a great nation. We meet a man named Mordecai. He's a humble Jew. He's probably a civil servant within the Persian kind of government. We then meet this amazing woman, Esther, who grew up under Mordecai in his house with his support, and she finds herself all of a sudden the queen of Persia, King Xerxes' wife. And they met him, the evil Haman, who is de- he's declared in the Bible as a hater of the Jews. He hates the Jews because one day Mordecai didn't bow down and give Haman the homage that he desired that he deserved. And so Haman basically sees Mordecai as representing every single Jew in the province of Persia, and so he wants them wiped out. He writes an edict for their destruction. He takes it to the weak king Xerxes. Xerxes signs it off. And so the whole Jewish nation faces exile, faces annihilation. We meet Mordecai at the very beginning of Esther chapter 4, and he's instructed actually Esther to be quiet while she's in the palace about being a Jew. Unlike Daniel, remember Daniel from the same book of the Bible, he basically is an open Jew. He lives courageously believing in the one true God in Babylon. And yet Mordecai thought it was wiser for Esther to keep quiet about her Jewish roots. Whereas Daniel didn't eat the special food of the king in Babylon, Esther engages in this, imagine this, a whole year of beauty treatments in order to become the queen. I think that's a compromise too far. We can talk about that later. But Mordecai, who'd formerly kept quiet about being a Jew, all of a sudden hears of this edict, tears his clothes off, puts on sackcloth and ashes and openly in the public square grieves this decision to wipe out him and all his people. He makes a public example of himself by going to the king's gate in sackcloth and ashes, mourning, weeping audibly. He goes to the entrance of the gate. He's not allowed in there, but it's not just him. If you look at chapter 4, verse 3, in every province 
to which the edict and order of the king came. There was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Whilst inside, however, the harem or the palace is Esther. When Esther's young women and eunuchs came to her and told her what was going on with Mordecai at the king's gate, Esther said he needs some clothes. So she sent some clothes down to him. He said, I don't want your clothes. Word gets back. A man named Hattak, one of the king's eunuchs, goes down to talk with Mordecai. What's going on? What's the deal? Um, Hattak receives from Mordecai all the information receives a copy of the edict from the king to annihilate all the Jews, takes it, Hattak, then takes it back to Esther in the harem, in the palace. Esther sees what is going on. And you know what her response was? I can't do anything about this. She's kind of hamstrung. She says, I can't do anything. If anyone goes into the inner court of King Xerxes, Without being asked to come, they will die. And she goes, I haven't been asked to come and see him these last 30 days. I can't do anything. And yet have a look, verse 13. Mordecai's words are amazing. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. That's a great statement of faith on Mordecai's part. But then he says, but you and your father's family will perish. And then the challenge. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. We tend to read those words or royal position or kingdom in this particular, in another translation, Perhaps you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We often read those words. We hear the word kingdom and sort of import a New Testament kind of idea. This must be God's kingdom. But this is not God's kingdom. It's the kingdom of Persia. It's the kingdom and it's Susa. And the challenge that Mordecai is putting to Esther is this, is to trust that God, has placed her in that particular kingdom, in this secular place, at this time for this opportunity. As Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, once wrote, everything from the most minute right through to the most magnificent is ordered by the Lord, whose kingdom rules over all. Even in this prolonged exile, far from Jerusalem, far from the temple, far from the Holy Land, far from any evidence of God's mercy, grace and his promises, even here, in Persia, in Susa, in the king's palace, God uses the smallest events. For God places us in unexpected places, in unexpected circumstances, often in unpromising places. The last thing you would expect to find an opportunity here in the palace to serve God and his purposes like guidance, isn't it? Sometimes we feel guided by God to do certain things, but on other occasions, it's only when we look back at our lives where we see God working in all the details. That chance conversation, that opportunity you had, that accidental thing you read that then makes a difference to someone else's life or your life. God has been at work. 
That's exactly how the sovereign power of God works in our world. As Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8, all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. All things, the minute to the magnificent, all things work together for good. In the old days, Christians used to think about life in this world as if you were looking at the back of a tapestry. I don't find myself looking at many tapestries these days, but if you look at the back of a tapestry, it's just this mishmash of cotton and this and that. But then you flick the tapestry round and there's this beautiful picture. When we get to heaven, Christian brother or sister, we will see the wonderful picture. But life in this world is that mishmash and mess often of the back of a tapestry. Most of the time we only see the messy backside of the tapestry. But friends, we need to trust that there is a perfect God with a perfect plan, with a perfect picture. I once had the privilege of saying to someone in a hospital in Adelaide when I was working there as an orderly, I was a relatively new Christian. I met this man over the course of time. He was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was dying. I had the privilege of saying to him, you are perfectly safe in the hands of God. Such a privilege. And of course, I can say, what I can say to a dying believer is what I can say to any believer. You are perfectly safe in the hands of God. And what I can say to any believer is what I can say to any church, even a church under persecution, you are perfectly safe in the hands of God. Who knows if you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. There are different times in our lives, but this time for Esther is a time of opportunity, a time of possibility, not one that she's chosen, of course. It's all very well for us to create opportunities to serve God and praise him when our efforts, our strategies, our works are blessed by God and bring him glory. But so often we don't choose opportunities. They choose us. God chooses to give us opportunities to serve him and glorify him. I was at the funeral some years ago of a member of a rebel bikie gang. And at this particular funeral, there were thousands of rebel bikie gang members who'd come across from across the country to pay homage to this man. I had the opportunity uh, with my wife to read some scripture before this sort of thousands of people. After the funeral, at the side of the grave, I was standing there at the side of the grave and I met the president of this particular bikie gang. And out of nowhere, in an unpromising circumstance, this president of the bikie gang turns to me and said, Simon, would you, help, would you tell me how someone can become a Christian? I believe this was a God-given opportunity. So I took it. And I told him the gospel as long as I could possibly keep his attention for. I pray that he has become a Christian. I pray that before he breathes his last breath, he would commit his life to Jesus. Well, what was Esther's decision? What did she do? Here is Esther's moment. Here is Esther's time. 
Esther's opportunity. She might die in the attempt. We read, if she goes to the king, her husband of all people, she might get killed straight away. Her response, go, verse 16, gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. What a great test that was. Not an opportunity she created for herself. She wasn't sure if it would do any good, just walk into the king's presence and be struck dead. Maybe as the golden scepter was handed out to her, she'd have a chance to plead her case, but maybe it wouldn't be heeded and her, her people would not be delivered from annihilation. Notice also she's completely alone in making this decision. Mordecai, her great supporter, is outside the king's gate. I feel so sorry for her. And yet, you see, Esther is able to save God's people from extinction. She's moved from being a beauty queen to a saint. She's moved from being a sex symbol to an intercessor. She's moved from being a passive victim of circumstance to a death-risking saviour. If I perish, I perish. And Esther recognises that God has brought her into this place, this time, for this opportunity. She trusted in the hidden hand of God, his providential rule, knowing that nothing happened in this world by accident, but everything was in his hands and under his control. Her gravestone might might have read, she died for nothing. Or it could have read, she died trusting and loving God and loving the people of God. If I perish, I perish. Better to serve God if I fail than fail to serve God. Well, you might dare to be a Daniel, but would you dare to be an Esther? Because I want you to follow Esther. I want you to be willing to die for the sake of God's people. I want you to learn to lay down your life for your brothers and sisters in the most minute and magnificent ways. If we read in 1 John, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. And again, we know that by this, we know love by this that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Or as Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you are to love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I was at the funeral of a young father many years ago. Uh, He and his family were uh, were on holidays with another couple of families. They were Christian believers. Uh, One of the young children leapt into the river and was struggling, and this man just jumped in. He wasn't the father of this child. He jumped into the river, saved the child, and he drowned. It's a tragedy. We naturally think of it, though, as a tragedy. But it's actually a triumph. For Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. We shouldn't think of that action as extraordinary, extraordinary, but... Ordinary. 
as we show our love for one another in self-sacrifice and service. You may be thinking, as you've heard the story of Esther this morning, you may be thinking, what an extraordinary opportunity she had. If, I, if I'd been there, I would have done what she did. But, well, what does it matter what I do? I think you've missed the point. The point is not that one day you will be the Queen of, Esther, uh, Queen of Persia or the Prime Minister of Australia and so have great opportunities. The point is that every believer is called to imitate Christ. And Christ calls us to lay down our lives for one another. How do we do that? We do that in the church family we belong to. By honouring others, by serving others, by setting aside our own preferences for the sake of others. By giving practical help to those in need, by welcoming those who are not like us. By praying for people, by encouraging them. By waiting for people to catch up or waiting for people to catch on. By not insisting on our own way by being hospitable, by supporting those in ministry, by caring for those under persecution, both local and abroad. And if we follow Esther, we will find we are following Jesus Christ who laid down his life for his friends. I wonder, why is it so difficult to love people? To live above with the saints we love would be all bliss and glory. To live below with the saints we know is quite a different story. The small actions and attitudes of love that are perhaps the most difficult, aren't they? We're called to lay down our lives for others. And friends, if that is what God wants, then we're actually harming people when we don't treat them as God wants us to treat them. We're not loving them. We're harming them. For myself, I don't mind loving people when I'm ready to do it, when I choose to do it, when I've got the energy, when I've got the time, when it's in my diary, then I'm, I'm happy to love the people of God. That's why I find Esther such a great challenge. She didn't choose the time, the place, or the action. They chose her. More to the point, God chose her. Loving God's people is very demanding and some people here today know that very well. For some of you here, you've been loving and serving people sacrificially for years. And I want to say to you this morning that God loves you for that service and that love. He loves you. Of course, God loves you because you are in his son. But God also loves you because you are like his son, in serving and loving others. I love those moments in the the letter to the churches in Revelation where Jesus says, I know your works. Nobody else might recognize the works of sacrifice and love that the people in those churches are doing, but Jesus does. And dear friends, when you hear Jesus' words, well done, good and faithful servant, it will be all worthwhile. 
perhaps at the start of 2013, you need a break from one ministry. You've been doing something for years. Step aside. Let someone else do that particular ministry. Maybe pour your energy and your sacrificial love and service into something else in 2013. There's still time to sign up. But for those who are part of this church and are yet to be involved in loving, self-sacrificial service and you count yourself a believer in Jesus Christ and a follower of Jesus Christ, now's a really good time to start. And if you're thinking about joining this church, please don't join this church thinking, just what can I get out of this place? Because you want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, yes? Laying down your life for others. Our default setting often, isn't it, that we want to be served. Our default setting is to come to church as consumers for what we want. But friends, serving others is not only the call of Christ, but it's also the means by which Christ saved us and gave his life as a ransom for us on the cross. That was his great act of service. Let me wrap it up. Brothers and sisters, I want you to take risks by growing in your faith and growing in your love for God's people. I'm a bit nervous about this. I was preaching once at a service a long time ago and I challenged the congregation to say to God, to pray to God, please God, do anything to make me grow in holiness. I was told that a young woman prayed that prayer and has had a very difficult life ever since as God has been growing her in holiness as as she follows him. But this morning, and I pray you would do this, if you ask God, God, please help me to grow in my trust in you, how will God do that? He'll encourage you first and foremost from the scriptures and he'll reaffirm every page of those scriptures, his great promises to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll call you to keep trusting him. But he'll also probably put you out of your depth in challenging circumstances, in challenging times, in challenging places to grow your faith as I prepare for the next Olympic Games. The only way I get stronger and fitter for those Olympic Games, I'm not actually going to the Olympic Games, but if I was to be going, was to be training harder and getting fitter and enduring more pain so I got more stronger and grew. That's faith in God as we put in difficult circumstances. God will grow our trust in him. And again, if you pray this morning, and please do, please, God, help me to love God's people, your people. Help me to love the people here at Church by the Bridge, my fellow believers and believers around the world. How will God do that? The answer is by putting the most difficult person in your path and God will say, go to it. Please don't say to that person, you're the difficult person, put in my way for me to grow my love for God's people. That would not be very loving. But silently, quietly, praise God for the opportunity to grow in your love for God's people and be more like Jesus. You see, if God has placed you where you are and you trust that God has placed you where you are, you'll be more likely to say with Esther, if I perish, I perish. The more you trust God, the more you'll be able to love God's people, whatever the cost.
The more you trust God, the more you'll be able to love God's people, whatever the cost. Brothers and sisters, remember Esther. Follow Christ. Let's pray. Let's pray now with those two things in mind, that God would grow our trust in him and that God would grow our ability to love God's people, whatever the cost. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would grow our trust in you and grow our love for each other. We believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to trust you at all times and in all situations. Please grow our faith by testing us. Please grant us more trust in you and to live it out. Help us to believe your promises in the Bible, to trust your sovereign power, to trust your Son, our Saviour, to trust your transforming grace, to trust you for all the details of our lives, past, present, future. Help us to trust you when we are strong and when we are weak, when we are well and when we suffer. And help us to trust you for your church and your gospel plan for this world. In Jesus' name, amen.